Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our midweek Bible study once again. It is Wednesday, March 23rd. This is our 2022 winter and spring edition study. So excited to be with you. Today, we continue in our study of the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how believers can live with confidence knowing that God's kingdom is eternal. The text will be Daniel 7, verses 1 to 14, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. God, you're awesome. And we thank you for your incredible love. We thank you for the word. Help us to understand it today. Help us to be doers of this word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You know, nothing in this world lasts forever. The world's best will be bested by somebody else. People thought a four-minute mile would be an unbreakable mark before Roger Bannister recorded the first one in 1954. More than 500 American runners have done it since. And that leads to my first question. What is one record or accomplishment you thought would last forever but didn't? For me, I'm a golfer. I love to play golf. I love to watch golf on TV. I never thought I'd see a time when a professional golfer would shoot a sub-60 round of golf. But in 1977, professional golfer Al Guyberger did it with 59 in the second round of the Danny Thomas St. Jude Classic at Colonial Country Club in Memphis. Since then, 11 others have joined that elite club with one of those men, Jim Furyk, shooting a 58 in 2016. That is just incredible. Are you ready to explore the text? We're going to dive in and get some good learning. So here we go. We live in a temporal world, but one thing is certain, the return of Jesus. Amen. He told his disciples in Matthew 24 verses 30 and 31 that his coming will part the sky and every eye will see him. Human history is headed somewhere and every day is one day closer to Christ's return. In this study today, we're going to see how Daniel's dream affirmed the eternal existence of God's kingdom. First, let me give you some background. At the end of last week's study, chapter 6, we saw that God rescued Daniel from the lion's den, and King Darius was overjoyed. He also had all of Daniel's accusers and their families killed in that very same lion's den. It was clear that the king had come to believe that Israel's God was real because of the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends. Darius was also convinced of God's power because Daniel was faithful and God rescued him. Although Daniel was captive in a strange land, his devotion to God was a testimony to powerful rulers. Then in chapter 6, it concluded by saying Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, chapter 7 begins with a terrifying vision and interpretation. But let me give you a note here. Chronologically, this chapter occurs before chapter 5. At this time, Belshazzar had just been given a position of authority around 553 BC, and Daniel was probably about in his late 60s or so at that time. So here's a brief outline of what we've been studying so far, or what we're going to study today. Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. The first six verses, we're going to call this the three beasts. Then in verses 7 and 8, we're going to talk about the fourth beast and the horn. And then finally, in our third part, verses 9 to 14, it's called the judgment. So open up your Bible or Bible app to Daniel 7, verses 1 through 6. And let's get to studying this first section we're calling 
three beasts. Here's how it reads. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea, with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up from the water, each different from the other. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing on its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and it was given a human mind. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up! Devour the flesh of many people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four birds' wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Now let me share with you a note about verse 1. Go back in the beginning, and it said earlier, this is about during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign, Daniel had a dream. Now, the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, was, as stated earlier, 553 B.C. Belshazzar ruled as co-regent during the absence of his father, Nabonidus, who was leading the fight against the invading Persians. In Daniel 5, verses 1 to 28, Belshazzar would experience God's judgment through the handwriting on the wall incident when the king dared to use the vessels from God's temple in Jerusalem to worship idols. The events of Daniel 5 recount Belshazzar's last days before he was killed. God continued to work through Daniel early in Belshazzar's reign, just as he had used Daniel during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So with that in mind, let's get to this study. Question in verse 1. It says, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. Here's the question. Was it common for Daniel to have dreams or visions? And number two, could he interpret those dreams as well? Well, if you've been following along in this study, or perhaps you've had your own study of Daniel, then you know. Back in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, we read that God had given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and visions. Then in Daniel 2, verses 17 through 19, it records that God revealed the details of Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel in a vision. And in Daniel 4, verses 19 to 27, we read that Daniel later interpreted another of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. So yes, God had given Daniel the ability to interpret dreams and visions as well as to receive dreams. Question 2. Also in verse 1, it said that he, meaning Daniel, wrote down the dream. Why do you think he wrote down the details of that dream? Daniel recognized the significance of the visions and carefully recorded the things he saw to preserve the details. Daniel wanted to reassure the exiles that God would continue to be faithful. Number three, verse two reads, In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea, with strong winds blowing from every direction. Question, what is happening in this verse, and can you see God's sovereignty in it? Well, first off, Daniel began by alerting his readers that his vision came at night. In Aramaic, this describes an intentional, reflective look at something. The word for vision is related as well. The expression strong winds blowing from every direction, or as it appears in other Bible translations, the four winds of heaven, 
stresses God's sovereignty over the forces of nature and history. We can see that in Daniel 8.8, Daniel 11.4, Matthew 24.31, and Revelation 7, verse 1. These winds were stirring up a great sea, which most likely refers to the Mediterranean Sea, the greatest sea Daniel would have known. God used the winds to stir the waters as Daniel anticipated God revealing what was to come. Number four, question. In verse three, it says several beings came up from the sea. How many were there and were they all the same? Verse three says four huge beasts came up from out of the water, each different from the others. So there we have it. It's also important to note that the sea here represents the stirring of God's purpose. And though each beast was different from the others, they would play a role in God's purpose. Number five, question. In verses four through six, Daniel tells about the first three beasts. What are they and what do they represent? Let's take a look at each beast individually. First, look at verse four. In verse four, Daniel said that the first beast was like a lion. It had lion-like qualities, yet had eagle's wings. The beast also differed from a lion in that it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. The reference to the lion receiving the mind of a man supports the idea that each beast represented an earthly kingdom. Interpreters understand the lion as the kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. The lion was a powerful animal and Babylon was a powerful empire. As Daniel continued watching, he saw that its wings were plucked off. The eagle's wings probably denote great sovereignty over a large area, but the clipping of its wings likely refers to Nebuchadnezzar's humbling. Remember back in chapter 4, verses 28 to 37, and perhaps even Belshazzar's in chapter 5, verses 13 through 30. Next, in verse 5, the second beast looked like a bear, and it was raised up on one side. The bear chewed on three ribs in its mouth. The image speaks to the stature of the ferocity or the ferociousness of the bear. Then Daniel heard a voice that instructed it, get up, devour the flesh of many people. It already had three ribs in its mouth, but the voice told the bear to eat all it wanted. Most interpreters believe the bear represents the Persian kingdom, sometimes called Medo-Persia. Persia was the dominant part of the kingdom which may be the reason the bear was raised up on one side. Interpreters also have suggested the three ribs allude to Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia, three major conquests of the Persians. Next, in verse 6, the third beast appears. He likened the beast, Daniel that is, likened the beast to a leopard, but it had four wings of a bird on its back as well as four heads. No leopard on earth had four wings and four heads, but Daniel identified the beast with the animal it most closely resembled. Most interpreters believe this is the Greek empire Alexander the Great established. The four wings and four heads likely describe the four generals who divided Alexander's empire when Alexander died. I think it's important to note for us that people shouldn't place their ultimate hope in the kingdoms or rulers of this earth. The beasts Daniel saw frightened him, yet they only ruled by God's authority. We should respect our leaders, but also recognize God guides them 
whether they realize it or not. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Number six, question. How does knowing that God rules over all kingdoms of the world impact your life? Actually, it gives me great confidence and peace, even in these most stressful times of today. In the midst of the incredible political upheavals and the current world situation right now, Jesus Christ is the ruler of all the kings and presidents and chiefs and premiers and governors and prime ministers. If the president said to Jesus, how can you be the ruler over me? I have my office by the election of the people of the United States, a sovereign nation and by virtue of a constitutional inauguration and installation. Jesus will answer, I have my office as ruler over you by God's election and by virtue of my resurrection from the dead, my indestructible life, and my installation at God's right hand. When Jesus rose from the dead, God exalted him and gave him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee might bow, and that includes all the rulers and kings of the earth. Jesus is alive, beloved. He's alive today presiding from heaven over the rulers of the earth. Amen to that. The next point in our outline is called the fourth beast and the horn. Let's read Daniel 7, verses 7 and 8. Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts and it had ten horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes, and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. Number one, question. In verse seven, how is the fourth beast different from the previous three? In contrast to the other three beasts, this fourth beast was terrifying, dreadful, and very, very strong. In contrast to the other beasts, this fourth beast had great iron teeth, so it possessed a power to destroy that the other three kingdoms did not have. Consequently, it stamped what was left of the first three kingdoms with its feet. Daniel again emphasized the fourth beast was different from all the beasts that were before it. The beast had ten horns, which to some extent paralleled human experience. Number two, question. What kingdom does this fourth beast represent? Most interpreters identify the fourth kingdom with the Roman Empire. Rome became the dominant empire in the second century BC and surpassed the other empires with its superior administrative capability. Rome ruled the world at the time of Jesus' birth, Luke 2 verse 1. Scholars have identified the beast's ten horns with ten emperors of Rome. Number three, question. In verse eight, there appears to be a small horn that comes forth. What happened when it arrived? Who does it represent? And what do the eyes represent? While Daniel considered the horns, there came up among them another horn, a little one. It was so powerful that three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Many scholars understand this little horn as the Antichrist, who in the last days will raise his voice against God and his people. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, Revelation 13, verses 1 to 10. Daniel described that 
These were eyes like the eyes of men in that horn. The presence of human eyes suggests the horn signified an earthly leader. The horn also had a mouth speaking arrogant things. So what is all this saying? I believe it says that God is illustrating the final end of all worldly kingdoms in contrast to his eternal kingdom. Number four, question. How does arrogance put a person or group on a collision course with God? This is what arrogance sounds like. Look what I did. It was like taking candy from a baby. I told that cashier not on my watch and made them get their manager. I saw through their nonsense and gave them a piece of my mind. All those idiots just don't get it. And there's other statements of the same. Do not envy or emulate arrogant people who boast in their abilities and accomplishments as if God doesn't exist. If you have it, God gave it to you. When you did it, God enabled you to do it. You know it because God showed you. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman because God is our maker. No one pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps. You wouldn't have bootstraps if God didn't give them to you in the first place. Now let's turn our attention now to the last part of our outline, which is titled The Judgment. And we're going to read Daniel 7, verses 9 through 14. This is what those verses say. I watched as thrones were put in place and the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them, but they were allowed to live a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Wow, what an amazing piece of scripture there. Number one, question. In verse 9, the prophecy shifts. What is its focus? The prophecy now clearly shifts to end times. This judgment scene is similar to the one that was seen by the Apostle John in Revelation 17, verse 12. Number two, question. Also in verse 9, what name is God called and why is that significant? He's called the Ancient One. The Ancient One is Almighty God who assigns power to kingdoms and who will himself judge those kingdoms in the end. Daniel watched in amazement as God, described as the Ancient One, appeared and took his seat. This unique description of God appears nowhere else in the Bible. It denotes his sovereignty over all because he has command over time itself. And he assigns power to kingdoms and who will himself judge those kingdoms in the end. Number three, question. In verse nine, it says, he sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. What does that mean? 
blazing fire first denotes a dazzling appearance, but also may represent the purity of God's judgment. Daniel also affirmed the throne's wheels were burning fire. The reference to wheels reminds us of Ezekiel's vision back in Ezekiel 1, but a different image is here. Here, the wheels comprise part of God's throne, perhaps alluding to the worldwide extent of his judgment. Again, many interpreters identify the fire with God's judgment, or perhaps as a refiner's fire that purified all who came in contact with it. Number four, question. In verses 11 through 14, we can see the climax of Daniel's vision. How would you summarize it? For me, Daniel continued watching as he pondered the four earthly kingdoms and their relationship to the ancient one. Then in verse 13, Daniel saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, and it says he was led into his presence. The expression son of man commonly described Ezekiel in his book, Ezekiel 2, verse 1, verse 3, and verse 6, though the figure in Daniel's vision was clearly more than human. The statement that he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him highlights his significant status. No one was worthy to appear before God, but this Son of Man came dramatically on the clouds of heaven and stepped up before God. Interpreters identify this Son of Man figure with the Christ. The text does not reveal for sure whether Daniel was describing Jesus' first coming, second coming, his millennial reign, or his eternal reign. Jesus associated himself with this verse when he stood on trial before Caiaphas, the high priest, Matthew 26, 64. Those present knew the scriptures, and they knew what Jesus was saying. They considered it blasphemy and condemned him to death, Matthew 26, verses 65 and 66. Daniel records that the Son of Man was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. Authority refers to the authority to rule. Sovereignty describes the honor that comes with a position. Daniel described the vastness of the Son of Man's kingdom. All nations, people, languages, they should all serve him. The words closely parallel John's vision of a great multitude before God's throne. You might want to check out Revelation 7. Verse 9. In our last question for today, number 5. In verses 13 and 14, what parts of the description of the Son of Man stand out to you the most, and why? I think Jesus used this verse to refer to himself, and what stands out to me is the clouds of heaven portray the Son of Man as divine. Throughout the Bible, clouds represent his majesty and awesome presence. But unlike the rulers and kingdoms of earth, which pass away, his rule is eternal and will never be destroyed. Amen? And that's what stands out to me in those verses. Well, folks, this brings us to the end of our study today. To sum up what we've talked about, believers can have confidence in the face of trials, even at the hands of earthly rulers, when they recognize that God's rule will last forever, for eternity. Those who rule kingdoms and nations today do so because God has given them their authority and he will choose when their rule ends. God's kingdom is eternal. His rule is perfect and we will reign with him forever. And every day is one day closer. Next week is the last session of our study of Daniel. And we're going to conclude by studying Daniel chapter 9 verses 4 to 19. And we'll talk about how believers can confess their sins 
knowing God offers forgiveness. I would encourage you to take from the scripture today and read forward through the rest of 7 and 8 into chapter 9 and prepare for this Daniel 9, 4 through 19. Thanks for taking time to listen today. We appreciate you so much. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.